0: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a customised online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your counsellor, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your counsellor in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counselling done securely online. It's convenient it's professional and it's affordable join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health and again that's BetterHelp, help betterhel com forward slash billy this is a crowd podcast this is we didn't start the fire the only podcast started by me billy joel <laughs>
1: Einstein. James Dean. Brooklyn's got a winning team. David Crockett. Peter Pan. Elvis Presley. Disneyland.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 48 of We Didn't Start the Fire, the podcast that is history through a Billy Joel number one hit. All the people, places, and moments that shaped our our world. The ones racing for space, turning up the Cold War heat, building things up and knocking them down. I am Tom Fordyce.
1: I'm Katie Puckrick.
0: Katie, you ready to start some fires? Am I ever? Because Katie, what are we talking about today?
1: Disneyland!
0: (laughs) What do you think of when you think about Disneyland?
1: Oh, I think about enforced fun. Uh, It's like a giant fun bully. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, Oksana, from Siberia, and uh, she grew up in Soviet Russia, thinking that uh, the whole idea of Disneyland was the be-all end-all because she was surrounded by grayness everywhere, and she thought that to go into this neon-slash-pastel world would just be it, and uh, she said when she finally made it to Euro Disney in Paris that she just found it so culturally weird that as soon as you cross through the oak, the gates, you were expected to have fun. And as a Russian, she said, we just don't do fun on command. <laughs> it made no sense. How about you?
0: Yes, I went to Disneyland when I was 20 and I was backpacking through the Western part of the States. And I was staying in that way you do when you're backpacking. I was staying with a relative who I'd never seen before and I've never seen since. She was, I think, a fourth cousin. She was 26, which seemed unimaginably old. She had her own car. (laughs) She had an apartment with a swimming pool, which blew my mind. Her instructions to me, Katie, as she dropped me off at the crack of dawn at Disneyland, were, if you're going to do this properly, you should take acid. And I remember thinking, well, listen, if I wanted to do acid, where am I finding acid at this point in the day? This
1: is like, uh, you know, news you can use 24 hours ago. Yeah, Exactly.
0: And then I went in and... A bit like your friend from Siberia, I think I had this idea that it was almost literally going to be a magic kingdom. Hmm. And after about 15-20 minutes, it sort of dropped and I went, oh, it's a theme park. That was how powerful this, this idea was. It wasn't a theme park, it was, it was somewhere almost literally magical.
1: But did you get sucked into the world once you were in there, or were you just cynical and resistant throughout, like a cold uh, <laughs> Britisher from the north?
0: I had spent the previous day at the Richard Nixon Museum. Oh my god. Cuz that's up the road in Anaheim. So my my cynical brain was on red alert. Yeah. And then I started seeing all these parallels between what Nixon was like and what Walt Disney was like and it was such a a brainwashing experience about how amazing Walt Disney was. And even at that point I was sort of conscious that there were some dark rumors about Walt Disney and what he was like and the sort of the House Committee on Un-American Activities that Nixon had been involved in. So there was a weird sort of paranoia in my head.
1: What I would suggest to you is that you were overthinking it. Even <laughs> Possibly. As, I, I don't know what kind of egghead you were at age 20, but um, you didn't sound like loads of laughs, at least on that day. <laughs>
0: Well, listen, you and me know a bit about Disneyland. We talked to our guest, who knows a whole lot more.
1: Yes, I think that's a swell idea. So our guest this week is a familiar face. She did expand our frontal lobes in the Davy Crockett episode a few weeks ago. And she's back for more. And well, frankly, so are we. Dr. Amy Davis is a Disney scholar and she teaches film studies at the University of Hull. And she knows just about everything there is to know about Disney and U.S. animation. So here we go, Tom. Welcome to Disneyland. So, um, hello, Amy. Hi, it's good to be here. We have before us the original Walt Disney map, um, or a facsimile. We don't have the real thing, because the real thing <laughs> sold for 780 at an auction in 2017. Wow. (laughs) So this presumably, uh, this is what the park layout was like Mm. uh, when the park opened in... 1955, 1955. uh, 17th of July Mm. for invited guests,
2: which is a story in and of itself, and for the live broadcast of its opening, and then 18th of July, 55 Mm. for general audience yeah and so what would we have seen there
0: yeah let's say because there was there was invited guests weren't there this first mm. day and then there were yeah. the ones who sneaked in yeah I'm guessing Katie and I would probably be the ones who sneaked in mm. <laughs> can't see us getting the, the, the nod from Walt yeah
2: and there, seemed to sp- there seems to have been a a gap in one of the fences there also seemed to have been a lot of counterfeit tickets um,
0: right so we've gone through this gap in the fence Katie we walk in Amy mm. to Disneyland All right we're we're so excited what do we see
2: Um, A fair few things that are actually still there. Things like um, Peter Pan's Flight uh, is one of the rides there on opening day. All, of course, you know, the the sort of basic layout of it, like, um, you know, the main street that you come in on if you've not suck, snuck in through the fence, um, you know, and all the shops and everything along that and the sort of, you know, turn of the 20th century feel that it was meant to have, which of course, remember, is within living memory of a good chunk of the people who were there in 1955. The The rocket ship to the moon ride lasted for a very long time.
1: I don't think it's still there. I want to know more about why it was considered so revolutionary to have a theme park that included fun for adults as well mm. as kids. Because now we just take that for granted. Yeah. Like, you know, what with adults dressing up happily at, during Halloween and, you know, kidults, the kidult culture of people dressing like toddlers for their entire lives. <laughs> but uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, some, yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly...
2: I mean, on the one hand, particularly in the 50s, there's less of that sort of youth-obsessed culture, because the baby boom generation that really brings that about are still young children. Some of them are still being born or have yet to be born. So there is more of a a sort of emphasis on being proper grown-ups. And Disneyland, as it's conceived in 1955, is in part about... Giving you a chance to to escape into an imagination, even if you've, you know, I think it's Joseph Campbell who says, you know, if you've lost your ability as an adult to imagine, don't worry, you can step into Walt Disney's and, you know, have fun and play. And it become you know, it's constructed as a kind of liminal space. I don't know how much Walt Disney himself and some of his people would have thought, oh, yes, this will be a great liminal space. But that's effectively what it is.
0: What's a liminal space, Amy?
2: A liminal space is a place that is neither here nor there. Um, A liminal space in the sense of Disneyland is a place where you step out of your everyday life. You can be your most weird or childlike or whatever self. And I'm not equating those. I'm just saying you, whatever you want to be, you can be that's not your normal everyday self. And then when you walk back out the gates, then you can go back to, you know, your life.
0: It's the cumulative effect, I think, Katie, of all that, all the exposure we have to Disney when we're kids. Whether it's the films or the songs, like I spent yesterday listening to a lot of Disney songs <laughs> just to get me in the in the right headspace for this show. And there's there's all the ones we know, bare necessities, all the classics. There's the, the little sort of folky beauties on Robin Hood where they try and get a bit of 60s countercultural folk guitar in there. Right. So you listen to Snow White singing "Someday My Prince Will Come."
3: Someday and my prince will come. Does she sing like that's that? That's good. Like, like it, made morbidly think, and it made me
0: think about. Um, Vera Lynn it was almost like a sort of forces sweetheart you could see what it would have meant to people listening to that they're listening to Snow White but also you know there may be in that post-war period you know their husbands or their sons might be in uh, might be overseas they might be serving and then you think of all the effects of all those songs like what for you Katie when you were growing up what were the Disney songs that were just in your head?
1: Uh, probably something from Jungle Book. I have to say, I wasn't really... Was I a Disney kid? I do remember the Disney TV show mm-hmm. being on television with the fireworks behind the Magic Castle and the, mm-hmm. the harp sound. <laughs> um, and I do remember, as you mentioned, Tom, Bear Necessities, you know, those sort of songs. But I don't think that I was locked into it as a source of pleasure and escape in the way that I was locked into David Cassidy's tight <laughs> jeans on the Partridge family on Friday night. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I got an early start on my hormones. But um, I was actually uh, talking recently with a friend of mine who had seven years of of being various princes at various wow. Disneyland, so he was prince charming and all other manner of princes and occasionally a goofy and a pluto and random characters in a parade uh not only in the original disneyland but he worked at disney world and then for three contracts in tokyo disneyland and uh, the Tokyo Disneyland was the most amazing experience that he had. He said, "Number one, it is like a cult, just as you say, Amy, where people are like they're they're in it to win it. You know that they, they show up and they're totally." committed mm-hmm. to the experience even before they get there and he said particularly in Japan there was a lot of intensity and excitement it was like kind of a Beatlemania experience because he said for a lot of the japanese who were there it was the first white person that they'd ever seen my friend said that all the cast members were instructed by management to not speak japanese so just you know don't break the spell and uh, he was saying that he had some incredible experiences there. One day, he remem- well. He said he remembered seeing a lady and her child showing up time after time as he was there with various princesses, do- you know, roaming the park and doing a shtick. And one day, the mom brought her little girl up to him and said to the little girl, this is your father. And and, uh, he had to just think in the moment, of course, in his head, he's screaming, no, no, no. And he thought, no, I, I cannot ruin the little girl's experience. And I can't, you know, call her mother a liar in front of her. So he discreetly pulled over a supervisor and quickly explain the situation and the supervisor had to take the, the pair away and kind of smooth out the situation and he said after that he did still see them in the park but they were uh, at a discreet distance <laughs> while he was in the parade wow. so that was a unusual experience.
0: What a strange job. Are there rules Amy if you work at oh, Disneyland yeah. so if Katie and I got a job at, at Disneyland yeah. at this at this point when it's opening up what are the do's and don'ts?
2: Well, and I won't pretend that I know all the do's and don'ts. I've never been a cast member myself, um, and but you would be a cast member. You would not be an employee. And so, if you are anywhere where guests can see you, you are on stage, and that means that whatever your persona is, whether you are you know, interpreting a character, or whether you work as you know one of the the shop assistants, a, a waiter, a street cleaner, you are a cast member, you're on stage, and you have to be polite, you have to be friendly, you have to be welcoming, and you cannot break the spell. Um, I've talked to a number of of, cast members from Disneyland and Disney World, um, and a couple from Disneyland Paris, and it's the same story, particularly though for the American Parks, it's much more sort of customer service oriented in that way. And indeed, Disney is seen as a leader, actually, in customer service, and they they have trained for other companies. Uh, They're even the ones who innovate the idea of the name badge. Hmm. Um, But it's the idea that, you know, if someone asks you a question that to literally correctly answer it would break the spell you change it slightly. For instance, there's a a wire that can be seen uh, coming from one of the turrets on the castle in the Magic Kingdom that goes, you know, this big wire, you know, obviously from a distance it looks much smaller, but you can still see it. Now, its actual function is for the person who is being Tinkerbell to use that as her (laughs) path to fly at the start of the fireworks display. Well, in later years, when the, when they were asked this question, what cast members would be instructed to say is, oh, that's an antenna so that uh, Prince Charming can can watch uh, ESPN. Now, yes, Disney owned ESPN. Brand awareness, Disney. Nice, yep. Cross Synergy promotion. is very important. But, yeah, it's also, you know, you don't tell them, oh, that's just the wire for, for Tinkerbell to ride down. Because Tinkerbell doesn't need a wire, Tinkerbell flies, she's a fairy. They're also expected, and this sounds bizarre um, to put it this way, but it's how you, the only way to put it, they're expected to plan for at least a couple of spontaneous moments every day. Plan
0: for spontaneous moments, how does this work?
2: Well, it's things, just to be prepared for various scenarios. So if you see someone spill their popcorn, you go and you get them a new thing of it you know here on the house Ugh. playing with the guests particularly if they're like waiting for a parade to come and you see like say a group of kids sitting on the sidewalk waiting for their you know and their spot for the parade So having you know sort of disney themed sort of confetti to sort of give them or throw at them stickers to give them all of that kind of stuff so it's yeah yeah
1: but up to a certain line of course because my prince charming friend was saying because i said yeah, you can't pretend to be their actual father <laughs> you can't pretend to be their actual father and and he said uh, especially in in tokyo disneyland there was a lot of fascination and interest and in, he said whereas if he showed up in a parade in the original disneyland they'd be like oh yeah cool prince charming but in Tokyo Disneyland, screaming girls, tears, you know, just total rock star frenzy. And he said when he would pose for photos, there would be much ass grabbing going on, just surreptitious. Not from him, no, from, <laughs> from, from the guests. Sad to say that goes on in the American parks yes. as well. I mean, he said that um, he regularly got gifted with photo albums at the end of his workday filled with pictures of him that the fan. The <laughs> Had taken throughout the day, gotten quickly developed at the you know, yeah, uh, there was always a camera shop on camera Main Street, shop, yeah, yeah, camera kiosk, and then he'd be handed this full photo album of pictures of himself, and likewise he had videos that uh, someone would have taken of him in a show but only him not just taking the whole show but just following him around so just documenting him here you'd like to have this Uh, anyway so he has a thorough um, documentation of his life from the ages of 19 (laughs) to age 26 and in fact he said he was one time on his day off in uh, japan he was at a mall, he tried. It. He was in a shop. He saw a, a black leather jacket that he liked the look of. He tried it on. It. He thought, "Oh yeah, this looks good." Looked at the price tag. Thought, "No, it's it's a little too pricey." Put it back. He said he got home and the leather jacket was on his doorstep. No. So a f- that's creepy on a number of levels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that you know, the, those are the perks of being oh. a, a Disneyland rock star. Wow. Except they knew where he lived. <laughs>
0: What's um? What's Walt Disney like, Amy? I found a picture of him mm. right at the start of Disneyland, and mm. he's dapper. Mm. The hair's swept back. He's got a little 1950s moustache, nice mm. double-breasted suit. Mm-hmm. But you look at that photo, and it's still hard to get a sense of who he was, because some people say he's a showman. Some people say he's really shy. Some people say he's really right-wing. Some people say that he's this lovely, caring guy. So who was he?
2: Well, I mean, I think in part it depended on who you you talked to, and certainly this is something others have said. It depended in part on how well they were doing at work, whether or not Walt well, was the greatest guy in the world or a complete, you know. But I mean, he seems to have been a very extroverted person. You know, he loved people. He loved being around people, getting his energy from people. He wasn't necessarily the most articulate of people. He wasn't the best educated person either. He, Graduated high school, but, you know, that was about it. And I think sort of he wasn't that interested in the academic side of things. He was known more as the the kid who did a lot of drawing and stuff and, and also had a fun sense of humor and loved to pull in particular pranks, practical jokes, that sort of thing. Ultimately, one, a lot of people have said that one of his greatest talents was not as an animator or anything like that, though he was initially an animator. He stopped doing that after a while because he was too busy with other things. But his real talent was being able to discover the talents of other people and bring that out of them and put people together who might not have thought they could work well together. And it turns out to be this great collaboration. Um, he was, by all accounts, a very devoted and loving father. He had two daughters, Diane and Sharon, and they'd come to the studio with him a lot on Saturdays. But on one of their daddy-daughter days, you know, he's sitting in a park on a bench watching them have fun on the rides, you know, the the merry-go-round and things like that and thinking, you know, there must be some place where we can all have fun together, where adults and children can spend the day actually together and not the grown-ups sitting on a bench watching the kids have fun. Um, He could get very grumpy and very moody, but could also get really enthusiastic and excited. And there's a story, there are many people have told this story who worked at the Disney studio, that um, the guard at the gate would let people know what mood Walt was in, if he was in a bad mood. And he would just, he had a code word, bear suit. And if you, you know, if you're coming in for work for the day and he goes, bear suit, Walt's having a bad day today. Um, He was an incredibly, uh, we'd probably call him a workaholic nowadays. Um, You know, he'd spend... Many many hours working. He had a bathroom in his office so that when he did pull all nighters, he could shower and get and shave and get back to work. Toilet of tomorrow. There you go. I'm <laughs>
1: I'm interested. Speaking of tomorrow, um, I'm interested in his. Uh, did he? Is this true that he had his head frozen? No. Oh no. No. Got it. In fact, the
2: uh, the I first really person to have a cryogenic uh, treatment like that was a few months after Walt Disney had died nobody's really sure where that legend comes from, um, but it's total urban myth. Mm. Um, It may in part stem from the fact that his death was so unexpected. It was so sudden. He went into the hospital to have lower back surgery for what he thought was an old injury from back in the 30s when he used to play polo. That was very fashionable in Hollywood in the 30s. And he fell off enough that the he was told by his insurance company, he couldn't play polo anymore. So he thought it was just a holdover from that. And um, when they opened him up to fix it, they found apparently a lump the size of a walnut in one of his lungs. He was a, a heavy smoker for most of his life, I think from his young teens. And they initially, at that stage, diagnosed him as having six months to live. And in fact, he only lived another six weeks. Mm. And no one outside the close family knew how sick he was. And he just, you know, he died so unexpectedly, even for the family, that they went to the hospital to visit him and, you know, realized he, he, he had died in the night. Uh, and his brother was, you know, there with his body, you know, sort of saying goodbye as his daughter and her husband and kids and his wife walk in
1: mm-hmm.
2: to, to see him. Hardcore. And he was cremated later that day. And then his death was announced publicly the following day because um, they wanted to have at least as a family
1: one day to grieve without having to you know, deal with others. And I imagine um, that there was quite a difference post-Disney in terms of the park, because I gather while he was still alive that there was very much kind of a feeling of family and Mm -hmm. that we're all in this together. And he loved being there. He was constantly there, sometimes openly there as
2: Walt. Yeah. And a lot of times also just he'd put on like big hat overalls, you know, sort of gruff himself up. Yeah. Because, yeah, he was very dapper. (laughs) He was always known as a really great dresser. And he'd kind of scruffy up and, and all of that and go in and just stand in the queues and all of that, because he wanted to see what it was like for regular people. He was very aware when Walt Disney walks into Disneyland, he gets different treatment. Sure, But, um, yeah, at that time, it is much more sort of... He is the guiding light, particularly for the parks. Um, One of my favorite Walt Disney quotes is about Disneyland, where he actually says, Disneyland is my baby, and I would prostitute myself for it. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So when he's gone... I mean, it throws the whole of the, the Disney company into shell shock um, and it leaves them quite rudderless for really a very long time. The parks, though, because um, Roy Disney, his older brother, is still around and he's like, OK, Walt has, has passed away. I'm going to try and keep his vision going. And he's very much the, the push to keep things going for, for Disney World in Florida. Um, and he actually he died only uh, two months after Disney World opened in Florida Roy did in um, December of 71 once Roy's gone Disney is run by committee Mm. (laughs) and really though for the parks that's actually the only profitable part of the Disney company for most of the 70s it keeps and even into the early 80s it keeps Disney as an organization afloat because the films are really struggling TV's still going okay Mm. but even the quality of that begins to drop But the parks, people still are interested in those. And that's why um, Disney survives, one could argue, uh, during that period.
0: Katie, I'm going to make the timeout signal with my hands there and reach for a cold compress because this has been big stuff. Let's have a few adverts. Hello, I'm Alan Cumming. And I have a new podcast called Alan Cumming's Shelves. You see, I have quite a few shelves in my house that are sort of a museum of my life. In each episode, I'm gonna take an item off my shelves, tell you why it's there in the first place, then start to talk about my memories of it. And then I chat with a friend who's involved in those memories. I've spoken to Ian McKellen about a hemp bracelet that he bought me on a nudist beach we visited together. Cindy Lopper about a pair of white leather gloves I wore on Broadway. And you even get to hear Jerry Halliwell talk about my Spice Girls lunchbox. And that is not a euphemism. I have some really amazing guests coming on to chat, so I just hope you will join me. And all you have to do to do that is to search for Alan Cummings' shelves wherever you get your podcasts from. See you soon. Here's the weirdest thing, Katie, for me about Walt Disney. We try and work out what sort of man he was. Apparently, he used to pass... Secret information to the FBI? No,
2: that's not true. Really? That actually comes from a heavily discredited uh, Thank biography. Thank you, Amy for putting me
0: right.
1: I love how yeah. we all we just have all this fake news here. We're yeah. like, and yeah. you're bursting our bubble. Sorry, that's that's what lecturers do. I'm
2: afraid. I did wonder what sort
0: of <laughs> secret information a man who's in charge of Mickey Mouse would have that would he interest had, had J. None. Edgar Hoover.
2: There's a kind of, I forget the exact title off the top of my head, um, but it's it's one of these sort of, you know, honorary titles. And Walt Disney was given many, many, many awards, titles, citations, things like that through his lifetime. So, yeah, that's all that that is from the FBI. But that comes from a heavily discredited biography uh, written by a guy who made his living writing tell-all biographies. Yes. Um, and the academic biographies that have been written about Walt Disney since then
1: have shown that this is absolute poppycock to be utterly polite about it <laughs> amy i was reading something about uh Henry Kissinger, who was a secret- Nixon Secretary of State mm-hmm. who um, loved Disneyland and he used to go kind of undercover as a popcorn seller and stuff. Uh, <laughs> Kissinger did. Yeah, they? yeah. And, um, I mean, there must be other situations like that. Well, and certainly um, Richard Nixon himself
2: was someone who, you know, was often involved in things at Disneyland. Um, one of his daughters, or both of his daughters as young girls, and the whole family's there, are ribbon cutters officially at the, the opening of the Monterey um you know he's a frequent visitor to the place and even with Disney World um you know he was president when uh, when Disney World opens and it's at the in the ballroom of the contemporary hotel at Disney World that he during the Q&A to a speech actually said his famous I am not a crook line um, oh, so this would have been uh, during the Watergate yeah, scandal. Yeah, because uh, yeah, Disneyland opened in October of '71, so Watergate is just a few months later. Wow! And then the aftermath obviously is coming along around that time. So, wow! Yeah, so that happened there, which I've I've been in that room and it was kind of like yeah, cool, but it was for a. a, a, a conference, and so it, it, there was no Nixon vibe about it. They don't have a plaque or anything saying Nixon said, I'm not a crook in this room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in the kind of uh, left-of-center freaks, uh, to put it affectionately, uh, who are attracted to Disneyland. So, presumably, when Disneyland was created, it was, you know, this whole very wholesome, all-American fantasy world. It's all very, you know, clean living and short hair. But as time rolled on, I gather, uh, Disneyland also had an appeal for to people who maybe were against the man, against the system, <laughs> that kind of thing. And there was apparently a, a, a yippee takeover that happened at the end of the 60s where the, the mm-hmm. Youth International Party threatened to take over the park uh, because they were against the Vietnam War and they felt that, you know, some of the sponsors like Bank of America were helping to bankroll the war, so therefore they were going to do this big, uh, you know, sit-in and... uh, Certainly is good at getting publicity
2: for their movement.
1: Sure, sure. And uh, so I thought that was, like, it's interesting that you get not only people who are showing up to protest because obviously it's on a, a huge world stage and a platform, but increasingly in recent years... They'll have, uh, you know, goth day at Disneyland, which isn't, I guess, sanctioned by Disneyland, but it's just a bunch of goths getting together going, let's let our freak flag fly. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And they're fine with it. You know, as long
2: as everybody is behaving themselves as all guests are expected to behave, have fun. Again, this is a this is a place to play. Yes. So if that's how you want to play, fine. And, you know, in more recent decades, Disney has increasingly embraced the whole sort of villain side of of their legacy and story, you know, and, um, you know, because they didn't really merchandise the villains very much once mm. upon a time, but that fits you know it's absolutely fun
1: and also the fact that like a place that's so kind of square is also a playground for people who are you know self-styled rebels and Mm. coolsters oh and I have a friend who had her high school graduation party at Disneyland I guess that's kind of a regular thing that you can rent out the park for that
2: I don't know about that but they have grad nights yes and um Disneyland in particular has, yes. has often done that, but Disney World as well for,
1: for local Florida so high school graduates. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was it. So my friend went there for grad night. That's yeah, what it so, was. Yeah, it was
2: probably not that sh- her family rented out Disneyland because no. I don't think you can do that. No, but, no. Yeah, but these she, are these are things that the park does. Like an after hours thing. But yeah, I mean, Disney's, as long as you're well behaved, you know, don't cause harm. Don't, you know, interfere with other people's enjoyment. Come along.
1: Oh, and there's lots of um, celebrities who kind of got their start at Disneyland. Isn't that right? Like, uh, I think uh, Robin Williams, um, he was a riverboat captain, mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Martin did magic tricks. That I know there have sense, been a lot of comedy it? writers and co-
2: and comedians who have been uh, the pilots on the ships in the Jungle River cruise and things
1: like
0: that. Because you have to be
1: good at improvising. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the idea. Yeah.
0: So, are you allowed to, you're not allowed to date? Guests as a cast member. Are cast members allowed to date cast members?
2: Mm, there are married couples who work at Disney. Yeah.
0: Wow, but you can't smooch on set. No, I'm guessing.
2: No,
1: okay. no, unless you're you're Mickey and Minnie, yeah. then you could do a chaste kiss. But- <laughs> well, it's it's hard to do
2: anything but when you're wearing a giant head helmet. Yes. But yeah. Um, in fact I was at Disney World in December and yes came off the the new sort of um, skyway thing that takes you into Epcot and walked out just as Mickey and Minnie were having a, a sort of romantic moment and after their little kiss Mickey sort of reels back you know with his hand on his heart like you know oh wow it is actually still, He's
0: still enough after all these years. Oh, of course. What a relationship.
1: It's been what 92 years and they're still going strong. <laughs> Do you think that they're is a future for Disneyland because Mm -hmm. like are we too cynical now or do you think that there'll always be a place for Disneyland
2: I think that there will always be a place for it um if there ceases to be a place it will because they've priced us all out of it um not because people no longer have the urge to go as I say it's a place where you can escape the real world and it's a place that the real world only very very rarely intrudes upon Um, 9-11 of course the parks were evacuated as a potential security risk Um, but yeah it's it's a place to get away from the awfulness uh, that is in the world (laughs) the awfulness of
0: the world there's one thing more that I want to know Amy because me and Kate I'm sure will argue about this afterwards top uh, three Disney films for you
2: I don't know that I could choose there are certainly films that I I will watch just for fun like you know It's not Halloween for me if I don't watch the Legend of Sleepy Hollow segment of The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. (laughs) Um, I'm a huge fan of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and I've also um, talked about it extensively, um, have written about it extensively, its work, but I do also love it. And I screen it every year on my American Animation History module, and every year I see something new that just kind of, in terms of the animation, that just takes my breath away um but for me honestly it's the parks for me you know that was my my first love with disney i went as a five-year-old to disney world in the early 70s and it's always been about the parks for me (laughs) always Mm.
0: amy thanks so much for coming on thank you for having me i've learned so much about disney and katie i've learned about walt disney I've learned about America in the 50s.
1: I have to say that um, Amy's crushed some of my fondest <laughs> held uh, suppositions about Walt and his frozen head. That's what I do. Yeah. Why
0: would he, why would he fr- freeze his head? That's what I was wondering. Well, What's the av- advantage when you're dead of freezing your head? Because
2: you bring it back to life. Yeah, and so he would get to see the future so that he was so interested in, you know, and he, w- he was always so enamoured by the possibilities of the future. So in this way, he'd actually get to see it for himself. So is he
0: freezing it just like... Five seconds before he dies, basically. Or
2: I honestly don't. I'm know. not sure how I, that works. Yeah, and yeah. I certainly don't know how it would have worked in. It's in 67 that that the the first person who goes under cryogenic freezing has that happen um but yeah i don't know i'm interested in that timeline
1: as well because you know and is it the whole head is it just the brain
2: what's the point
0: of just your head yeah like well, yeah why like not why your not whole just body? yeah
1: the whole <laughs> go the whole hog why not just get the whole enchilada in there and also are you is it like you know jumping rope where you're like waiting for like when's your point you're going to come in and do your double dutch skipping like i'm gonna die i think i'm gonna die in half an hour five minutes like how do you or time? essentially
2: are you like euthanizing you you know having you, yourself yeah. Euthanized, yeah, euthanized effectively you know like going
1: I, in for the precisely
2: you
0: know. one more day before you freeze me that would be the way wouldn't it yeah. be like, i think i'm ready actually actually just hold up a bit
1: i just want that one last bowl of ice cream
0: would you have your head frozen katie if the option was there
1: Uh, If I were going to freeze my head, Tom, I would have done it when I was about 22, (laughs) when my head was at its best. I just freeze that and probably my ass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about the area in between?
1: Um, That can ebb and flow as it will. Um, Can my head and my ass still be interfered with (laughs) even while it's frozen? They could be mounted. They're melted. (laughs) Melted. (laughs) Um, All right. Okay. Either way, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> um how about you anything that you want to freeze on your body <laughs>
0: Um, it almost feels like a decision that I can't take for myself. It needs to be one that maybe people who know me better might say, do you know what? Let's lose the whole lot or <laughs> let's let's keep the gizzards, wherever gizzards are.
1: <laughs> I like this particular nook. That cranny can go. <laughs> yeah,
0: we've seen too much of that already.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, the whole timeline scenario is very confusing as well like when do you make the decision to freeze something but anyway i don't have to think about that anymore apparently because walt disney did not freeze his head therefore i don't have to think about it anymore <laughs> um don't know if billy's thinking about freezing anything maybe his fingers yeah for posterity his yeah. piano playing fingers
0: which would look like uh, just a series of i imagine frozen sausages
1: <laughs> so delicious <laughs> at the barbecue Uh, So, did Billy do the right thing in including Disneyland in the song, do we think?
0: I don't want to kiss uh, Billy's frozen ass or his real ass, Katie, but I think (laughs) he had to include Disneyland because it's culturally so significant, isn't it? You might never have been to Disneyland, but you still know all about Disneyland. You
1: know what, I bet he had Mickey Mouse ears. Yeah. I mean, not really coming out of his head. I think he wore the Mickey Mouse ears.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I think Billy did the right thing. All right. Um, but I almost find myself accelerating through this part of the podcast, Katie, because <laughs> next week we have someone who makes my voice do this.
1: And also Billy's voice did that, even though he was only <laughs> yeah. about 12 at the time, because remember, he was quite hot to trot. He was quite warm for Brigitte Bardot's form. goodness
0: gracious man. I have
1: to say, I was a little uh, itchy in the pants department for her. As a young girl, mm. you know, when you're young and you don't really know how you're going to end up. You mm. just think that all nubile people, whether they're boys or girls, <laughs> are quite sexy. Yeah. And maybe even some animals.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know what I mean by that.
0: <laughs> well, I shall spare your blushes, Katie, by making <laughs> you blush and asking you to talk about another podcast oh, that you're doing.
1: Yes, I am. I'm working on another podcast. It's called dot .com. And this one is all about Wikipedia. It's the only podcast documentary series about people of the Internet. I'm all over this gosh darn thing. I'm talking to a lot of people who are on the Internet, specifically Wikipedia. You've heard of that.
0: Katie, I'm intrigued already. Um, What exactly is Series 1 about?
1: Well, I'll tell you. It's more than just nerds. It's pretty gosh darn frisky. It digs the paradox that the World Wide Web's most extensive information source is forged by humankind's most ancient network, people power. I tell you what, it's been fascinating to burrow into the histories and controversies surrounding a website that most of us use every day but take for granted. It's almost like the matrix of Wikipedia, and I'm exposing the molecules that make up the monolith, the altruistic volunteers and occasional saboteurs behind the millions of constantly edited pages.
0: Well, Katie, I'll be honest, you have me at Katie's on it. But also, I have listened <laughs> to this podcast. And I have to say it's amongst your finest work.
1: Really? Even better than frozen ass talk?
0: Never frozen ass talk is amazing, to be fair.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to top that. But the whole series is out now. So everybody just go listen to it. Binge, binge, binge. And you search for dot com.
0: And just for clarity, that is D-O-T-C-O-M.
1: And please hit that subscribe button.
0: And in the meantime, please follow us and subscribe, of course. We are at fire at crowdnetwork.co.uk. If you would like to email us on social media, Katie, we are, as always, at spread that fire.
1: I'm just going to be waiting by my computer to hear from all of you. Get typing.
0: Crowd Network. A place where you
3: belong. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor, a Civil War Army doctor, and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On conflicted